And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy man, manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in the sixth day the Lord made, a, made heaven and earth and sea, and all that is in them is and resteth the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor shalt thou covet thy neighbor's wife, nor, thy, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is, is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thundering, and the lightning, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. You can be seated. God's blessings to each one here this morning. It's been a, been a pleasure to be here to worship with you all as brothers and sisters in Christ. I feel that kinship already um, to be here and spend time around God's Word. I, I love God's Word. I've, I've had a fond fondness here lately for the New Testament. Uh, something that, that I've been going through is, is uh, the, the uh, book of Matthew, which you all are studying in Sunday School lesson. I love, love the book of Matthew. Love the, love the entire, entire Scripture. I've learned to enjoy more of the Old Testament since I've been ordained. And it seems like that's where... God is leading us this morning. So for the, uh, as, as was read already, the Ten Commandments. And I have a little quiz I'd like to, for you to uh, enjoy. Here some time ago, several years ago, we had an article in our local paper, and I suppose it was in your papers too. They'd done a survey of how many, how many people could quote or remember Four out of the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to ask you for a raise of hands here this morning, but just think about how many of those commands do you remember? They're very foundational teaching, yet so many times I take it for granted. I don't even, before I've done this study, I don't know as I could have told you three of them. Now, how many of you could quote the whole Ten Commandments? What the brother just read. The subject we want to look at this morning, and I want to just tell you up front that the, the topic at hand is not my favorite subject to speak on. I love, I've, since I've been ordained about two and a half years ago, 
I have preached on the church, and I love the church. It's, the church is very dear to me. But there, is, there are things within the church I am convinced, and I'm not saying that it's at Weavertown. I'm not saying it's wherever you are. But we want to look at verse 14. It simply says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now right away you're saying, and I, I was the first time I looked at this subject, I was like, wait a minute. Me and my wife just celebrated our 20th anniversary on the 27th this month. Wait a minute, God, what are you saying? You're saying don't commit adultery. Okay, the, the committing of adultery in the, in the, is to apostatize from your partner. And do you, if you remember, those of you that are married, maybe you're married a month, or maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 50 years. When you said, I do, to that lifelong partner, in health and in sickness, I cannot quote the whole saying that it was said by the bishop at that time. But you take that for whatever it is, and that goes with you for life. That commitment is a life commitment until one of you are no longer here. Someone broke the wedlock. People today make much ado about this thing of, uh, of the wedding ring. They spend thousands, hundreds and thousands of dollars on rings. And they say, look at this, the ring has no end. Let me tell you, the ring is no more valid than the person that wears it. How committed am I? One thing about this message is that if you are a committed, lifelong partner of your spouse, I don't want to make you feel guilty. But if you're not, if you are, are if, if I am, for an example, I am looking across the fence to the other side of the aisle. I am looking, unbeknownst to anybody else, then the hammer of the judge is dropped. You're guilty. And if I am guilty, if I'm caught guilty this morning, then here's a recipe to getting out of that it's simply four words repent confess and love again <clears throat> now let's turn to Leviticus 20 <clears throat> and by the way uh, I have done a study on all the all the Ten Commandments I just I, I love the uh, the Old Testament like I said more and more and so I've done Multiple studies in the old and cross-referenced it over into the new. I'm really learning to enjoy it. Leviticus 20, verse 10. Verse 10 says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even the he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. This was Old Testament, but it's Scripture. This was serious business back before Jesus' time. It was either life or death. If he was caught guilty, then yes, it was death. It meant death for both me and the other offender. A few observations from this. 
This is a serious act of disobedience. And we see that, that God hates it. He, he absolutely detests unfaithfulness. Because see, our relationship this way, a lot of times, depicts our relationship this way. Let's look at a couple who faced some uh, consequences of this disobedience. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 16. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. This is speaking of the person that we like to say, the man of faith. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid, that it may be that I may obtain children by her, and Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. This is the beginning of a lifelong story of what Abraham, Abram at this time, he was called Abram, I, forgive me if I pronounce it wrong, thought that this was the right thing to do. And this was allowed back then. But God said that you and Sarah will have a son. It will not be by your bond, her bondmaid. It will be you and Sarah. Just look at the trouble he got himself into. And the long-term effects that it had on this one little sin. One little act of sin. To Hagar, God pronounces a blessing. But I really don't think that it ended up being a blessing to Abram. Because we can see that there's still strife going on between these two nations today. There's still things going wrong. Just look how it all turned out. I'm going to illustrate Abraham and Sarah talking here. Now you go take care of the issue. Because you created it. No, look, Sarah, you told me to do it. Yeah, Abram, but you thought it was a good idea. And you're ultimately the one responsible. You, the man of the house, are ultimately responsible for this situation. You, Sarah's saying, you followed through. Now go get that son out of here. And I don't want to see him again. Because he is nothing but trouble around here. Abraham, you better stick with the plan God designed for you. Now, you might be here as a young person this morning. You might think that, that well, this, doesn't, this message doesn't pertain to me. I'd like to incorporate adultery with fornication. Fornication is, the way I understand it, is before marriage. Adultery is after marriage. God wants a single eye out of his people. He wants us to only look one direction. There has never been a right time to do wrong. Now let's go on to in Leviticus, verse 5 and 6. 
No, I'm sorry, Genesis. Genesis, I'm sorry. Genesis 16. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in my hand. Do with her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt heartily with her, she fled from her face. It says that Sarah dealt heartily with her. And I don't think it's just that means barely. I think it means hard. And the way I understand that, that whenever there's, it seems like that whenever there's two couples living under the same roof, it's just not hardly enough room for that. I know this was a different situation here with a bondmaid. My wrong be upon thee. This is Sarah speaking. Because of some wrong advice that I gave you, and you listened to me, now you get to suffer the consequences for it. I really wonder if Sarah would have done what she did had she looked at the consequences that, that, that were just for the sake of a child. Now to the second story. We're going to use two illustrations here. One, the next one is in Matthew 1. We're going to start reading in verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, he was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing that to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. We're reading to verse 25. And she shall bring forth his son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth his son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, is being, interpre which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she brought first her firstborn, Firstborn son, and he called him Jesus. It gives a little bit of description on this man, Joseph. It says, being a just man. How about you and I? Are we just? Are we fair? To be just is to be equitable in character or in act. By implication, we're innocent. Or am I innocent? Holy, just, righteous. And I would dare say if there was ever a man that, that he could justly put his wife away, it would be Joseph. It just looking on the surface. But God him, give him a special message.
despite the circumstances, he went forward with what information he was given. How about you and I? When us as men, we like to have things figured out before we leave the house in the morning. If I'm not giving quite all the information from my day's journey, do I leave the house? Come on, we've got to have this thing figured out. What time I get home? What, what time I take lunch break? We see here in the first situation, the first story about Abraham and Sarah, they ran ahead of God. God did not have his plan accomplished by their lives. The second situation, they waited on God. We do well to weigh out our words very carefully. When we are giving advice on marriage situations, according to God's word, we do well be careful to hear the whole story. Because a lot of times we get just a little piece of the information and there's always two sides to every story. Just be careful. Here's some time ago in my line of work, I meet a lot of people out in the public. It's what I call the raw public. And this, this lady had come in to the place of business where I was at. And she was like, I just started chatting with her just like I typically do, just on a lighter level. And she's like, and she looked like she was quite old. And Anyway, she, uh, I asked her, I was like, are you married? Yeah, she's like, 40 long years. And I got a question for you men and you ladies that have been married. Has it been 40 long years? Or has it been a blessing to be with that spouse of mine? Yes, we've had some rocky roads, but praise the Lord. Job 24 is where we want to go next. Start reading in verse 15. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. In the dark they dig through the houses, which they had marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the night. For the morning is to them as the shadow of death. Even one, even one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. The worldly concept is, and it, it uh, infiltrates into our society as well, or into our culture as well, is it's okay if I can keep it undercover, or it, it'll be all right if I just do it once. And then hide it. Nobody will find it out. In some cases, are years before they get found out. My question is, does that make it right? We can cover it up by doing it after dark, as it says here. Often it might go unnoticed for a while, but eventually it comes out. Sometimes even after the couple is gone. The guilt and shame that goes with this kind of lifestyle, this sinful lifestyle that we are talking about, 
I always need to be on the lookout. I can never leave anything uncovered. But what you might see it, he might see it. Fear is, according to verse 17, for the morning is to them even as a shadow of death. It's death to them if, if, you, if you find it out what I'm into, the lifestyle I'm leading. I have to be careful what I do because someone might see me there. Some synonyms to go along with this thing, this uh, thing of adultery is cheating. It's unfair to your partner to do what you're doing. It's cheating on them. It's infidelity, misconduct, two-timing, unfaithfulness. Some antonyms to, for that is faithfulness and fidelity. Let's go to the New Testament in uh, Matthew 5. Let's see what our master says about this. Matthew 5, starting reading 27. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. And if the right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let her give, her give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is divorced committeth adultery. Plain words of the Master. It says in verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time. It seems that Jesus was directly referring back to Exodus 20, verse 14. It also says in verse 28, But I say unto you. The issue is at hand is this. We've all been guilty the hammer has dropped on all of us. No one is exempt. Sometimes we, uh, I on purpose do this. I will gather around a, a group of men. And I'll just, just, if you'll stay off to the side just a little bit, not getting too involved in the conversation that's already in place. In no time, you can see the character of those men. Those young boys, where their desires are. Am I guilty? Yes. Because to be honest with you, in, in my upbringing, I was not taught. And it was not the preacher's fault. It was not anybody else's fault. It was my fault. I could have read. I could have heard what Jesus said. It was God's design put there 
for a reason. And he can also help me to control that desire. Did you ever think about it that God created you with that strong desire, young men, young ladies? He can help us to overcome it. And I think our homes should model a, 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 a place of safety for our young men, for our young ladies, a, a place where we can sort of give them a little bit of guidance on how to dress. Most of this message is directed toward the men's side of the house, but just as a caution to you ladies, whether you're a young girl or you're sitting further back, you're an older, older lady now, take charge of how you how you dress, how you appear to the public. Because after all, you are a part of the born-again church. It's surprising how the Lord can change how we look at someone else in a different way. I no longer see that person as a person of lust but I see them as a person that possibly needs prayer that person on the street corner that is very lewdly dressed that young man that comes around he's got muscles showing he's got a tank top and t-shirt how I am modest and I tell you it ought not once to be named among us as a church to be like that Verses 29 and 30, I've got a challenge for you this morning. How many eyes and how many hands would you have? I tell you, I would be limbless. Because I grew up in an environment like that. That it was okay. Verse 31, he says, it hath been said. Jesus went back to the Ten Commandments to build his foundation here for this for this uh, scripture. Verse 32, it's another one. But I say unto you. Not only saying what those before us said, but strengthening it only as Jesus could in his simple but yet profound way. Verse 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her, with her in his heart, already in his heart. He says you already clenched that nail. You're already guilty. Make sure we have a proper and a pure motive when we look. Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, verse 32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. 
For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. We're not going to read verse 35. Proverbs writer says that he lacketh understanding. If I do this, if I have that mindset, I lack understanding. I need to understand the way I'm built, why I am the way I am. There is a desire in me that needs to be controlled. I by no means say this boasting, but we have all of Scripture to train our minds how to live, to guard against this. There's one verse in the New Testament that says, Thou art therefore inexcusable, O man. We're without excuse. Bless you if you are without fault in this area. Verse 33, it says that a wound in dishonor shall he get. It's a wound that will not go away. I cannot put a band-aid on it and it will heal. This will be dishonor and will go with me for life. Let's make sure that we don't get entangled in this snare or this net. He also says that, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. This issue is one that won't just blow away. Like I said, it won't just, we can't put a band-aid on it and expect it to heal by next month or next week. It's an unending thing that goes on with us wherever we go. We are from Kentucky. Now we're in the Weavertown Church, and after church we're going to be visiting a little bit and finding out who we are in connection to whoever. And we'll be discussing where we belong, where we come from. All at once you're going to say, oh, that's you. I remember that, that back there, what I heard a couple years ago. Oh, she is, I see, she is that one. Okay. You're from that family. You see what kind of trait this is that keeps handing down. And God says that this will go on for three and four generations. It will be carried with you if grandpa, great-grandpa did it. If great-grandpa was unfaithful. If I was unfaithful, then it goes on. It's something that will not just... That was his dad. That was your dad. That was your grandpa. Grandma, whoever it happens to be. That caught, got caught in this snare. Proverbs 7. <clears throat> 1 to 5. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live in my laws as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. That they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her tongues, with her words, excuse me. That they may keep thee from the strange woman. 
If we look at those first couple verses, it gives us some medicine, if you will, to stay away. And like the old uh, uh, proverb says, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. In this case, I think it's worth a ton of cure. It says, keep my commandments and live. Bind them upon my, thy fingers. If it takes a reminder for you on the outside that great-grandpa was that way, let's do something to change that course. Psalms 1. I want to use this in an opposite way this morning than what it's written. Psalms 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." We see here that there is a progression happening with this man. He says, Blessed is he that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You might think, what does these verses have to do with adultery? The first time, I just walked past it. Hmm. You know what? That looks pretty good. So I turn around. And I walk back. Hmm. That looks better. Because after all, my parents aren't around. They don't see. My preachers aren't around. Then he says, next. Nor standeth. Standeth in the way of the sinners. Next, I'm going to just stay standing there. I'm just going to watch it. Hmm. That's all right, isn't it? Pretty cute. And guess what the next step is? The next step I'm sitting by it. My point is, there is a progression to sin. And we need to be careful. I don't know how many of you have ever been on a, on, a, uh, on a slope that's just too steep to stand on. You just can't gain your footing. Every time you try to regain your footing, you'll slip. Just slip just a little bit more. That's how sin works. At first, all I decide to do is just look at it, like I said. I'll just walk by it and I browse it. That has such a tingle of excitement. That is, she just looks so cute. Is it really worth it? 
John 8. It seems like as time goes on, that it just keeps getting progressively worse. More, more lewdness is out there, more undress. Again, I challenge you as a, young, uh, as a father, as a mother, maybe you're a young daughter, son, I challenge you. Stay away from it. John 8, verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And as though he heard them not, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they that heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. And he gives her a recipe for success. He says, go and sin no more. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Are you ready to throw a stone yet? You got your pockets full of rocks. I got my pockets full of rocks. Jesus said, if I'm innocent, go ahead and throw it. And there's one thing that really mar- makes me marvel here in this story. Verse 9 says, And they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest and to the least. That was one rock. The oldest one went out. The next one went out. I didn't bring any rocks in here this morning. I thought about doing it. Let's make sure. Verse 11 says, Neither do I condemn thee. The sweetest words in Scripture. What a different look that life at life that Jesus had in comparison to these leaders. The church leaders of this day. Oh, may God help us as church leaders that we wouldn't have attitudes and but we're people we we walk on feet of clay just like you all do he says go go and sin no more go and protect 
that which is in your power to protect. Let's not give in to the pressures around us. Learn avenues that work for you. If it means staying out of the magazine aisle at the grocery store, stay away. Here, brother, here's my cell phone. Lock it down. Take it avenue away from me on my smartphone. Do it. Learn ways to get around that, to go. Go and sin no more. Sin no more. Dare to be different in light of eternity. Will you and I be clean wearing robes of white with the saints? Or will they be stained with some of those things left to us? James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, the widows in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Do you all have spots? No, you might not be able to see them. But are there spots? James 4.17 says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If I know better than going in that magazine aisle, if I know to go that certain street in town. Let's turn to to, uh, 1 John 5. Starting in verse 18. <clears throat> we know that whatsoever, whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know him that the Son of God is come, and hath given... It seems to me I have the wrong verse. 18 to 20, that's right. And hath an understanding that we may know him, that he is true, and that we are, we are in him that is true, even in his son Jesus Christ, and this is the true God the etern- and the eternal life. Hmm. Let's go to 1 John 2. That doesn't sound, sound quite right on that one there. First John two fifteen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. It seems like everything that, that God puts in place, Satan has a counterfeit for. 
God ordained our bodies, our lives, to be in glory to him. Satan tries his best to implement something as a counterfeit. First John 3, 9. <clears throat> Whosoever is born of God does not commit, a, commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now we're going, going on, on to verse 20. And if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because he keepeth his commandments, and doeth those things which are pleasing in his sight. He says that God is greater than our heart. God knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows the tendencies that we have as human beings. As men, as young men, he knows those desires are strong, but he wants to control them. As young ladies, I don't know, I can't really identify with this side of the house. But he knows your desires. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He says God is greater. The Apostle John said God is greater than our heart. He designed us and knows our limitations. So why not trust him with what is bothering us? Give it to him. Give it to the master. He was able to calm the seas. I think he's able to calm your sea. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. We are here for one purpose, and that purpose is to please him, to glorify him, not to please ourselves. Last scripture, Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 